Today we have a very special guest joining us. He's a dedicated wildlife enthusiast and a key figure in a remarkable organization that has been making a significant impact on the lives of a unique primate species in South Africa. Monkey Helpline is a non-profit organization dedicated to the protection, rescue and welfare of the vervet monkey population in South Africa. Their team of passionate volunteers work tirelessly to ensure the well-being of these incredible primates, often found in urban and suburban areas. Vervet monkeys are fascinating creatures, but they also face numerous challenges in their coexistence with humans. Let's delve right in and welcome Steve. Welcome back. I'm going to chat to Steve a little bit about interactions with monkeys and how to avoid getting bitten. Obviously, this is one of the things we particularly want to avoid both with our dogs and, um, and ourselves. So you come across a monkey, whether it's been hit by a car or it's not behaving in a normal way and potentially you're concerned that it's injured or, or sick. How do, we, how do we deal with that situation? Well, firstly, when we do talks and educational presentations about monkeys, we say to people, if you want to avoid being bitten by a monkey, then there's a few things you should do. And, and the four most simple, basic things really are don't tease or copy monkeys because they don't understand your body language and they feel threatened. Um, don't feed them by hand or throw food to them. Don't um, run away from monkeys because they naturally chase something that runs away from them if they're having a confrontation and you could get a little nip on the back of your leg or, or whatever. Uh, or just be chased and then be terrified and tell people you were chased by monkeys or in fact you incited that by running away. And then fourthly is don't ever try and touch a monkey. So that fourth point really is the one that where people are most at risk of being bitten is they see a little baby monkey and they, they want to touch it. Even if it's on its own, they want to pick it up. Uh, they see an injured monkey they want to pick up. They see a monkey run over on the road and they want to just pick it up. So be aware that a monkey can inflict a horrendous injury, um, really bad injuries that require hospitalization if you get bitten. But that's only going to happen if you aggravate the situation by trying to actually grab hold of a monkey, whether you want to help it or catch it for nefarious purposes or whatever, that monkey's going to bite back. Also, people are concerned that if monkeys are around, they're going to be attacked. So if you know how to behave around monkeys, you won't be attacked. There's certain things you don't do. If you're having a child's party or a gathering of your neighbor's kids playing with your child at your house or in a park, or don't have children running around screaming when the monkeys are there. Rather take them aside and let them go through an educational experience. Just watch the monkeys, enjoy the presence of the monkeys until the monkeys move on. So it's just very basic, simple, common sense things that you would think about. You know, you teach your child from young, don't pick up a snake. Don't uh, try and touch a dog. Don't approach a dog and closely um, make noises that might frighten the dog or make the dog feel aggressive towards you. So it's common sense with monkeys. And we've got a lot of information on our uh, social media, on our website that people can go and read and know a lot more about monkeys than most other people on the planet once they've done that. So it's just important to understand that common sense should prevail. But with children, you as an adult should take that responsibility and ensure that you don't create a situation. So don't have a child's party with cakes out on the tables in the garden if the monkeys are there. And it might be an inconvenience, but it's just the way it is. Um, if you put out your child's birthday party spread on a table in the garden and suddenly the weather changes and it starts raining, you pack it all up and take it inside. 
So do the same thing if the monkeys come along there and they're going to be there. Just pack it up, take it inside, and once they've left, they usually carry on, they usually won't come back again. Put it out again and let the party continue. And so it's not that inconvenient to do it. And it really is showing a respect for them and ensuring that you don't have a negative interaction, which will just make it more difficult for children particularly to be more relaxed about monkeys in the future. Welcome back to Just For Pets. You're with Dr. Cara. Hi, Doc. It's Justin the Jack Ross here. And boy, am I itchy. Are you on a hypoallergenic diet? Hyper what now? Changing to a special diet will really help. And Just For Pets have a massive range. And flea and tick medication, special shampoo. Oh, how quick can you get some? Order today and we'll deliver pronto. I feel better already. Justforpets.co.za Vet approved, pet adored. Get it all to your door. Let's get back to our conversation on the Pause and Effect podcast. And some of the signs, so you, you describe, obviously, an injured monkey may have some obvious features. Um, what are the typical signs or symptoms of a, a sick monkey? Well, are the fact that it's not acting like a buoyant, energetic, um, healthy monkey, that it's a monkey that's on its own when it shouldn't be. So in other words, any any monkey other than an adult male monkey should not be on, the, on its own isolated from other monkeys. Female monkeys never leave the troop that they're in, so they very rarely are they, are they on their own. Um, any male monkey underneath an adult age should still be with its troop. And any youngster, juvenile, or baby monkey shouldn't be on its own. So if you see a situation like that, you know there's a problem. So what do you do? phone monkey helpline or another animal care organization that you're aware of in, in the area that you are. If they can't help you, they'll refer you to somebody else. I mean, depending on which part of the country it is in, most people will refer you to monkey helpline if you do it in KwaZulu-Natal. But the SPCA will also help you. They will often help you by telling you to phone monkey helpline. But if they, if they don't do that, they will help. And um, so there's always help at hand. If you see a monkey severely injured, it's bleeding. Uh, it could have, uh, you know, sustained those injuries, and in many ways, it could have been uh, injured by a human. It could have been injured in an interaction with another monkey, run over by a car, bitten by a dog, etc. The monkey's behaviour will tell you if it needs help. If it's on its own and it's not with its troop, if it's not an adult male monkey, it needs help. If it's perfectly healthy and it's not an male monkey, an adult male monkey, but it looks perfectly healthy, still jumping around in the trees, coming down looking for food alert, it still shouldn't be on its own. It's worth phoning a rescue organization just to discuss it and decide what the situation is. So we often get phone calls from people saying, oh, the monkeys were here just now, and there was a baby monkey left behind, and now it's sitting up in the tree crying and crying and crying. So we'll say, well... What is the monkey? Does it look healthy? Yeah, it looks fine. It's climbing correctly and etc. It's walking along the wall quickly, uh, then climbing back in the tree, but it's not going away. It's just staying here and it's crying. So we say, okay, well, how long ago did the monkeys leave? Oh, about 10, 15 minutes ago. So we tell you what, give it another 10, 15 minutes. If it's still there, then phone us if it's a healthy monkey. But what might happen is the mother will have gone off because she thought that her younger little daughter, the sibling of the baby, was carrying it because they love carrying the baby monkey. And, uh, or it could have been a, an older brother, but still a youngster. And she's gone off and she suddenly realizes that they're like 300 meters or 500 meters down the road and the baby's not there. She will backtrack on her route all the way back there. And eventually she'll hear the call of the baby. 
because you hear that little purring noise that they make, and then there's a high-pitched squeak often before or after that, and that sound carries over a long distance, and she'll hear that, and she'll come back and fetch that little baby. Oh, that's wonderful. So observation so, is the main... Observation, if it's a baby, but phone us, and we'll ask a number of questions, and depending on how those questions are answered, we'll decide whether we will leave it, or we'll say, okay, look, you know what, it's worth us coming. If some, for some reason the mother comes back and takes it, then just give us a call. And often we arrive there and we observe and we decide to also hang on a little bit before we try and catch the baby. And sure enough, a mother monkey does come back. And so if they are hit by a car, so if you are in the unfortunate situation where you either hit a monkey or you come across one, that same approach to contact someone who can help and then to monitor them. Because you've, you've mentioned before that you'll often get a phone call, like this is where they're located, and then you arrive and there's, there's no, nothing there. So is it, is it that they move away? Is it that they obviously try and find a, a safer place? Or um, why is it important that people sort of stay on the scene? Well, monkeys hit on the road are quite a complicated uh, situation because often those monkeys can be moved off the road. At times they're in the middle of a really busy road, like in the fast lane of the N3 or M13 or uh, the M4, we have it often down there in, on the Durban sort of coastal area, that M4 is terrible for monkeys crossing and getting hit. So we won't ask somebody to go into a road and put their life at risk. Also, we don't want somebody going in there, picking up a monkey and getting bitten. Uh, so depending on the situation, we'll give guidance, but we won't ever ask somebody to do something that we think would put their life at risk. Even if we say, look, just stay there to give us an idea of where the monkey is, park your car safely, get out of your car and move away from it in case another car for some reason plows and make sure you're not standing somewhere you're gonna get run over. And just keep an eye on the monkey to make sure nobody else comes and removes it. Because there are people, unfortunately, who take monkeys to eat them, to use their body parts for various uh, traditional and ritual um, reasons. Uh, muti, what we talk about muti. Uh, so it's muti and bushmeat. That, that monkeys get taken away from for. So by staying near it, you at least keep an eye on the monkey and ensure it's not carried away by someone who's not gonna help it. And you also ensure that sometimes you can park your car in such a way that it won't get run over. Sometimes you can pick the monkey up and quickly move it to the side of the road without getting bitten or without the other monkeys coming to the protection of that to, to prevent you. They, because they don't understand you wanna help but they think you wanna do something bad to the monkey. So we will give you guidance on what to do if you phone in and tell us that there's a monkey run over. Um, and please don't do anything other than what we ask you to do. But whenever possible, we do ask people to stay there and keep an eye on that monkey. Because the monkey could recover. It might just have taken a glancing blow and recover from that and find its way off the road. Sometimes, like yesterday, sadly, a monkey was run over in Margaret Maitham Road in Durban North. And while the lady was watching it and on the phone to me, the monkey was sitting up and trying to move and another car came and drove over it. Um, so if there's a monkey on the road, try and indicate to approaching traffic that there's a monkey there or a dog or a cat, whatever it is that, and of course the same will apply to any animal that gets run over, not just a monkey. Um, and we'll get there as quickly as we can, or we'll get somebody. We, we have a number of assistant rescuers around in different suburbs and areas from Zinquasi all the way down to Port Edward, inland as far as uh, Peter Maritzburg, Richmond. And they're not always available because they mostly have got jobs. So it's not always possible for those rescuers to get out there to help, but they do an amazing job in helping us. And uh, we can usually get somebody there pretty quickly 
to assist and take over that rescue. And if you are bitten by a monkey and the unfortunate event of being bitten because of whatever reason, we won't make any judgments, what mm. do you need to do? Well, you can be 100% sure that if a monkey bites you, you are going to probably get an infection in that injury, just like you would if a human bit you or a dog or anything else, because of the bacteria that are carried in the mouths, particularly of predatory animals. But as monkeys aren't predators, they still have a lot of bacteria in their mouth. Um, so the best thing is to clean it with an antiseptic, Dettol or Savlon or any one of the other available commonly used uh, antiseptic um, uh, solutions. But um, it's not a bad idea to go to your doctor and ask him to give you an antibiotic because you can get an infection and that can take days and weeks to heal and be very painful. I've been bitten a number of times in my life, mostly just minor little bites while you're trying to move a monkey from a net into a box or something like that. I've never been attacked by a monkey, uh, although they try to, uh, but I've taken a number of bites from uh, one or two dogs and from cats and from a crowned eagle uh, from its talons in my arm. And uh, every one of those that I didn't go onto an antibiotic became quite infected. And I recovered from quite well, but most people don't even want to go through that discomfort. So seek medical attention. So seek medical attention, but don't overreact. You don't have to go off and have a course of rabies injections and things like that. Uh, that's entirely up to you, entirely up to your doctor, whether he wants to advise you or not with that. But just so you do know that there has never, ever been a recorded case of a monkey in South Africa with rabies. And a monkey biting you because it's injured, because it's confined in some way, and you're trying to do something to it, is not a rabid animal attacking you. So use your own discretion there, but just know from us that if my own child was bitten by a monkey, I wouldn't go for a rabies vaccination with them. And I certainly haven't had, although Carol and I are vaccinated, because we deal with so many different animals. And different species. Yeah. And now, a word from our amazing sponsors who make the Pause and Effect podcast possible. To make a promise implies trust. To make a pledge creates expectation. And to make a commitment initiates responsibility. For more than 25 years, we have made it our mission to take the ifs, buts and maybes out of premium pet food. That's why our experts put the best science behind our food, so your pet's health is put first. That's why when you seek value, we strive to give you more, like protecting your pets with our free accident benefits. And when you need great tasting food, our fresh meat taste delivers. You see, what sets us apart is not one thing, it's all these things combined. Because we understand that when it comes to your pet's health, you don't want doubt and uncertainty, you want absolutes, the absolute best given your means, like premium veterinary quality food of real value that doesn't cost an arm and a paw. So rest assured that any claim we make, we stand by. It's our commitment to your pets and our promise to you. In fact, we're so confident in what we stand for that we have made the ultimate promise to you. It's called the Ultra Pet Promise. 100% money-back guarantee, a no ifs, no buts, and no maybes kind of promise. We call it our satisfaction guarantee. Let's get back to our conversation on the Pause and Effect podcast. So talk a little bit about the work that you and Carol are doing in terms of the 
the monkeys that end up in your care and the rehabilitation work that you do with them, what are the more common cases? Are they the young ones or the injured, sick? Well, across the spectrum, really, um, from at this point in time, there are very few, one or two real new babies born that's out of season. But uh, the little one, eight-month-olds, nine-month-olds, one-and-a-half-year-olds, um, up the ages through to adults. Uh, every day we have between three and ten rescues that we do. And of those, probably 75 to 80 percent end up dead, either dead before we arrive at the rescue scene, or they die en route to the vet, or they die at the vet, or they're euthanized, uh, or they die shortly after treatment, and we've taken them home to look after them because the injuries are so that it's a touch and go whether they'll survive or not. Um, very few veterinary practices uh, have facilities to actually keep wild animals, particularly monkeys, because they're very difficult to control when you're trying to clean and feed holding cage, uh, and feed them in their holding cages. So usually even if vets take in monkeys and give them holding treatment, in other words, they'll treat them for pain, uh, sometimes give them fluids to rehydrate them, etc. anti-inflammatories, um, we will still go and fetch that monkey as soon as we can from that vet. And uh, we've got a number of veterinary practices who are incredibly good at helping us, and we're very grateful for that because sometimes the monkey will be run over in an area that we won't be getting to for another few hours, and yet they will keep the monkeys for us until we come and collect them, and sometimes even overnight, um, for a day or two even. So we, we certainly are helped out there, plus, as I said, with our volunteer rescuers. But basically, Carol, Carol and I will go and fetch that monkey from the vet, uh, or go and pick it up ourselves, take it to a vet for treatment, and then take the monkey home with us and take care of it in what we call our high care area until that monkey is capable of not having to or recover sufficiently. It doesn't need any medical intervention on a daily basis like anti-inflammatories or painkillers or rehydration uh, or even uh, manual feeding because it's totally concussed or not able to actually feed itself at night, have lost sight because of something. Lots of monkeys end up losing their sight after being shot uh, with an air gun into, the, into their head. Uh, virtually all monkeys who get shot into the brain, we euthanize. Uh, we don't want to keep monkeys that are impaired. We euthanize all monkeys who are paralyzed once we, if we are convinced that that's a permanent condition. Because Carol always says to people, because sadly, when we write about these monkeys on our, on our social media, we get a lot of calls from people, a lot of messages saying, oh, please don't do that. I will look after a monkey. I'll take care of it. And Carol always says, there are no wheelchairs for monkeys. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. You can't do that. A monkey that cannot run around and climb is not a monkey. It's, it's integral to who they are and how they live. So uh, unfortunately, we end up euthanizing a lot of really healthy looking animals but uh, that's the way it has to be. That's the kindest thing to do. And you know, if you look at the suffering animals endure, endure and how gentle really that euthanasia is, uh, it's a painless, caring action to take. It's not the worst thing that can happen to an animal, but uh, it is just sad to see a life like that lost. And often that is because of deliberate actions by humans or neglect or whatever. And that, that makes it a really sad situation that you've got to deal with. But other than that, when you're helping an animal that has been injured because of an accidental uh, interaction with, with a car or with a dog, because dog bites aren't deliberate. There are cases where people sick their dogs on monkeys all the time, um, and then they're the first people to complain when their dog gets bitten by a monkey. But um, we will take the monkeys, we care for them, and once they are able to go out of their high care situation, we put them into recovery cages at our center, 
which can uh, consist of um, re uh, cages which are just a meter square by 1.8 meters high. And that just gives, the monkey just has to stay there for a week or two weeks to just get back a bit of its hand-eye-foot coordination, just stretch its muscles out a little bit more because they sit, you know, if they're not sitting in a cage, they do feel, it's like you suddenly sprinting to go and do something when you're not actually fit and then you start getting all stiff that evening and think, just, I just ran up the hill and look what I feel like. So we don't want a monkey struggling, but they're incredible animals and they stay fit incredibly long, even in small confined areas. But we just want to be sure that they've got everything functioning correctly before we go and release them. And do they get very stressed in that kind of environment away from their troop? Monkeys are so intelligent that they learn very quickly that they're not going to come to any harm. Um, Carol will be able to reach into a double parrot cage Within one day of putting a completely wild, free-ranging male vervet monkey in there, uh, she can reach in and clean that cage and offer it something to eat, and it's at there eating while she's cleaning the cage out. I don't do that because my interaction with monkeys is always violence. I'm catching them, grabbing them, holding them down, um, netting them, transferring them from one box to another. So they don't have a good experience of me, sadly, <laughs> that I've committed my life You're to helping them. I'm a bad nurturer. guy. Now. But you know, I have seen on occasion when I've taken monkeys and released them, that I've opened that box and they've run out and they've suddenly stopped. They looked back at me and they look around, and I've convinced myself they're looking back <laughs> that was and a saying, thank you. "You know, the pennies just dropped," and they go off feeling a lot happier about my engagement with them. But yeah, we look after them. We we provide all the care we've learned, even with monkeys that we take to the vet. We do not necessarily at, at, at other vets other than the one we use commonly, Dr. Eason uh, down at the Riverside, Ronaldo Riverside Vet in, in Durban North on Mshongarok Strive. Uh, Kerry's an amazing vet, I've known her for 20 years and she's been an active part of our organization for all that time. Um, but what happens is that you arrive at the vet and all the vets are busy with paying customers. So you sit there in reception with your monkey in a box and then somebody's dog walks past and the monkey goes berserk. So what happened at uh, Riverside Vet is they then uh, invited us to come and sit in one of their back rooms. And they would be sitting there and Kerry would be rushing, trying to do one of the paying customers, dogs, clients. And, uh, and then she'd have like five minutes in between two, two uh, um, appointments. And she'd rush there and do a little bit. And eventually she got to the point and she'd say, well, you know, you know just clean the monkey or, or just give the monkey a sedative. She taught us. So right now, under her supervision, we can treat a monkey from sedative to antibiotics to anti-inflammatories to painkillers to putting them on anesthetic gas, um, cleaning up the wounds. Carol does all the shaving, the washing, the cleaning, and preparing the monkey. Carol, Kerry will have a gap between two appointments. She'll come rushing in. We'll have her suture material, her tool, equipment, everything ready for her. And she'll just come straight in and she'll even put her headlamp on her, on her head for her. <laughs> Team effort. Team effort. And she does. And she's taught us to do that. And it saves a lot of time because she, as I said, has to allocate her time to treating the paying customers because it's a business that they're running there. Uh, helping animals, but it costs a lot of money. And I think that's a point that, that I would make to people who often say, oh, you know, the vets didn't treat this animal because, um, you know, we couldn't afford to pay. Um, we cannot afford to run Monkey Helpline if members of the public don't donate monkey to, money to us because we've got food to buy, medical bills to pay, we've got staff to pay, cleaning staff, we've got fuel to pay for, cell phone contracts to pay for, because we can't do rescues without cell phones, the most important tool that we have. Um, 
maintenance on vehicles, fuel, all those things. So how can cost people money. donate? People can donate to us by going to our website and just click on the donate button and it'll take you to a page where all the different uh, options that you have from EFTs through Zapper, through um, debit order. Um, yeah, it's, it's all there. And, uh, but taking it back to the vets now, um, you know, a new piece of equipment, um, paying a vet, having to get a veterinary assistant because there's this work to be done. Cleaning staff, um, massive overheads running a veterinary practice and uh, a vet will have to adjust their costs according to a formula that's been worked out. You know, we, we can't go and buy a uh, 800,000 Rand digital x-ray machine uh, and continue to do x-rays for nothing. So that cost has to be factored into so that you're able to cover that cost over a period of time. So in order to limit the amount of time the vet has to spend on us, we have learned to do all that work. Obviously, we can't do it. We, we can clean monkeys at home and wash them and shave away hair around wounds and clean the wounds and give them the kind of treatment you would give your own dog or your child at home. But when it comes to surgical work, when it comes to the kind of work that's controlled by a particular act of parliament and veterinary council guidelines, how the vet should operate, that we leave to our vet because there's a reason for that. Often require x-rays and, and work up in order to assess the absolutely the injuries virtually every monkey gets x-rayed as well because as Kerry says she doesn't want to she doesn't want to work on a monkey who's been attacked by a dog and treat that monkey and and do enough work to save that monkey but in fact the monkey was caught by the dog because it had been shot through in its chest and it, it couldn't breathe and it wasn't running away but with the dog biting it you can't see that there's a pellet injury on it but all of a sudden you do an x-ray and there's four pellets in the monkey and she look at those and we'll look at them and we'll say, okay, this pellet could have disabled that monkey. We look for, and sure enough, you find a pellet wound. You now she spent, she spent uh, half an hour, an hour working on that monkey, especially after hours, only to discover after it died, that it died because of a pellet shot that we didn't even see. That's so sad. And how many do you release? And are you able to release them into a different area or do you try and reunite them with their troop? How does the the release process work in terms of post-recovery? Yeah. Male monkeys, you, we try and release them back into the area where we got them from, but sometimes they have to be with you for six or seven or eight months, depending on the injury that they sustained. Um, and then we will either, if we feel we should can't take them back to the area because things have changed so much there with new male monkeys coming in and they'll just be chased away or badly attacked again. Um, we will release them in a suitable area where we feel that they would be able to sort of fit in and, and monitor the situation that they're in and be able to respond accordingly to the presence of the monkeys there. Because they'll see them at a distance, they'll hear them, they know they're there. And they can then in their own time and in their own way decide if they want to approach those monkeys, if they want to stay in that area but just sort of on the periphery, or if they want to move off completely. So male monkeys are easier to uh, reintroduce back into freedom again. Female monkeys, of course, they've got to go back to the troop that you got them from. So depending on what the cause of, of their injuries are that brought them into your care in the first place, you decide whether you can release them. If they've been attacked viciously within that troop and badly mutilated, you can't put them back there again because that could have happened in a hierarchy change amongst the females. There's a lot of very complicated social dynamics in monkey troops. And if we feel that putting the monkey back in that troop is putting it at risk again, we won't put it back again. Younger monkeys that we're not sure that the mother is there, um, we can't put back again. So those monkeys will go into our potentially rehabilitation uh, program, 
or into our sanctuary situation. But we do release a lot of monkeys back. Um, if you think about it, when we moved on to Camperdown, we had 245 monkeys, and that was seven years ago. And we now have just on 300, uh, 245 monkeys, we now have just on 300 monkeys. So over a period of seven years, the total number of monkeys that we've got has only increased by 45, 50 monkeys. And the general lifespan? Well, in the wild, we've estimated that they would live for, firstly, the large majority of monkeys die before they actually reach adulthood. We wake up every morning. I got woken up this morning by a phone call for a monkey run over in Morivale Road in Kloof, and while I was still preparing to leave, they phoned back to say the monkey had just died. Um, every single day, a monkey that's either run over by a car um, while people are out on the roads on their way to work, because sadly it's the time monkeys are up early and they're about and they're moving into their territory and foraging and having to cross multitude of roads that bisect the territory that they live in. Uh, hundreds of times a day, monkeys cross a road probably as they move around their territory. And certain times of the day, there are more cars than others. Um, I always like to think that that emergency ratio is on its way to a monkey in need. But <laughs> you it's need not. one of those. Aren't you? We need one of those. <laughs> but um, there are situations where we can release monkeys back again, and there are many that we can't release back. So for the ones we can't release back, we try and put them into troops and recreate a natural troop in terms of size, genders, ages, etc., so that they can establish, that takes up to two years for a group of unrelated monkeys. Because you must remember in a, in a natural troop, occurring troop, every female in that troop is genetically related over time by different males. So you've got little clans of female sisters, direct sisters, who, um, who stand together and you have the alpha group better down until you've got the lowest ranking monkeys and they get bullied by everybody. They're the ones who are last able to eat. They're the ones who are furthest behind when the troop is moving. A troop of monkeys moving through his territory can be spread out over 200 meters. You can find that the lead monkeys are already leaving from where you're feeding them, say if you're feeding them in your garden, and then the ones coming along behind arrive. Often people say, oh, there's different troops. The small group troop only arrives once the bigger troop has gone. But that's not the case. You only have one troop of monkeys living in a territory. So, yeah, so releasing them is not that easy, but we can do it. And monkeys that can't be released, we keep, give them lifetime sanctuary care. So living how long can they live? In a sanctuary, a young monkey can live to the age of, it's a male or female, can live up to the age of 25, 28, 30 years. A gentleman living down in uh, Shongweni Valley picked up a brand new baby monkey, and she died in her 30th year. Another guy I know um, had two monkeys he also got as babies a few days apart. One died at the age of 27, one died when it was 29 years old. Now the lady had one who died at the age of 25. So that shows you that they can live that long in captivity because they don't have to deal with the daily hazards of looking for food, of being, looking after their own safety, etc. In the wild, if a male monkey lives beyond 10 or 12 years, I think that's a lot. We very rarely see really old male monkeys. And an interesting thing uh, is that female monkeys live, we know of female monkeys that have lived up to around about tw between sort of 18 and 22 years. And how do we know that? Because um, we have people who've said, oh, that female monkey, when she was born, she actually had her ear bitten by another monkey and she had a notch in her ear that we, in the 22 years that we lived here, that monkey has been here and she died 20 years after we first saw her. Uh, we have a female monkey, uh, Ugly, who died a couple, about a year ago now. We haven't seen her since then. 
And when we met her, I met Ugly 18 years ago. Um, she had, and that's about two years back now, so um, say that's 20 years ago, I met Ugly, and she had a little baby on a little sort of six-month-old, and she had about an 18-month-old baby on her. And I don't know if she had any older sibling, in her, uh, kids then, but just based on those children that she had, um, she must have been, she would have been about 22 years old now, if she, and so she died two years ago. She was about 20, 21 when she died. So we can, we can estimate that. And the reason for that is that female monkeys don't have to face the same, hazard, same hazards males do. They don't fight the vicious fights for position in a troop. They don't have to travel on their own through uncharted territory um, and, and avoid dogs. They, have, they don't have the benefit of, of the troop awareness of, of danger around them. So, yeah, so... Males, probably about 12, 15 years max, I would say, when we see really old ones. But another interesting thing we've seen is we weigh all the, male, all the monkeys that we get, especially the males, and we've, going back five, no, going back maybe between five and 10 years, or maybe further back, we were rescuing monkeys frequently that weighed around about 7.3 to 7.8 kilos. In all the years I've rescued monkeys, I've only ever rescued five monkeys that weighed eight kilograms and over. The bigger weighed 8.5 and the, the, the lightest weighed eight and the other three in between that. But we hardly ever see an eight kilogram monkey now. In fact, I haven't seen one for, we hadn't seen one for a couple of years and then we rescued one that weighed 8.5 kilos about eight months ago. Um, seven kilogram monkeys, once in a blue moon, we'll get a monkey that's actually grown into the seven kilogram range. Now, the majority of male monkeys are weighing between 5.8 and about 6.3, 6.5 kilos. Even a 6.8 or 6.9 uh, monkey is, is quite rare now, which indicates that the monkeys are dying before they can live to be old enough to develop that heavy bone density, that, that bigger weight that big monkeys put on from a lot of exercise growth in their bones and just more muscle, bigger muscle. So undoubtedly, the population of monkeys is, is seriously in trouble. Oh, that's sad. And any parting um, words for people who say they don't like them? Well, I think for people that say they don't like monkeys, I think they should try and just put aside their prejudice, their intolerance, the indifference that they feel towards monkeys, and look at them for who they are. If you had to sit and watch a troop of monkeys, if you watch the mothers nurturing their youngsters, watching the little ones starting to develop how to play, watching the games that they make, watching how they respond to the world around them, you realize how much is going on inside their mind. You realize how much like humans they really are. And we're not saying you should respect humans or human-like animals more than others, but realize that they are not things. They are not a pest. They are not a being that should be eradicated because they don't fit in with your lifestyle. They've got every right to be there, and in fact, you should be privileged you are privileged to have them living in the same space that you are. And in fact, it's really easy to learn how to live with monkeys. It might cost you a little bit of expense in installing certain uh, deterrents around your home, but you do that anyway to keep burglars out. And they're far nicer than the burglars who would break into your house anyway. And they're not doing it for any malicious reason. They're not doing it with any intention of violence. Monkeys don't steal. They don't come into your home to deprive you of something without your uh, your permission because they want to do that. They're coming into your house because they're looking for something they desperately need, and that is food. 
And they've learned that human homes are a source of food and that they are places to forage just as your garden, as the neighboring bush or local park is. And when they come into your house, they forage for food there. They've learned that you can find food in cupboards, in packets, in jars, and things like that. They are very, very intelligent. And they're able to contemplate the consequences of their actions. So they know that if they come into your house and they forage for food, you're going to chase them. They don't relate the fact that it's because got, they've got the food. It's just that you are so aggressive and territorial of where you live that you don't want them there. So they'll come and grab the food and run before you can chase them. Not because they are thieving and they're running away because they're guilty. They're running away to escape your ire. And that's really what it's about. So understand who they are, why they're there, why they do the things that they do, and what you can do to avoid having a negative interaction with monkeys. And if you do that by just accessing the, re the information that's available on the various uh, digital resources that everybody has access to now, um, you'll find that you might add some really positive uh, experience to your life. It's been incredible. You've really taught me so much today, and I hope that our discussion does the same for our listeners. And thank you so much for taking the time, Steve. It's, the work that you're doing is inspiring, and um, I hope that I, I get to work with you going forward in terms of assisting with some cases. Um, you know, we, we like to be able to contribute where we can, and um, thank you for for educating us. Well, it's a pleasure, and we're very grateful for the help that we do get from you whenever we call on you. As you know, we often have people dropping monkeys with you while we busy with other things, so thank you for that. Right, and thanks for the opportunity to have this chat with you, and it's, it's, uh, so it's much appreciated and very enjoyable. Thank thanks. you. Thanks again. We have an exciting announcement to make. We are looking for guest speakers who are passionate about the pet industry and sponsors to support future episodes. Are you an expert in pet training, nutrition, or behavior? Maybe you're a veterinarian with insights to share, a pet store owner with unique experiences, or a pet product inventor. We want to hear from you. The Pause and Effect podcast is a platform for industry professionals like you to showcase your knowledge, experiences, and stories. As a guest speaker on our podcast, you'll have the opportunity to share valuable information, engage with our audience, and have your voice heard in the pet community. Whether you want to discuss training techniques, emerging pet care trends, or the importance of mental stimulation for pets, we want to feature you and your expertise. So, if you're passionate about pets and have something to say, we invite you to join us on an upcoming episode of the Pause and Effect podcast. But wait, that's not all. The Pause and Effect podcast is also seeking sponsors to support our mission of educating and entertaining pet lovers worldwide. By becoming a sponsor, you'll gain exposure to our engaged audience and have your brand associated with the love and care that we have for our four-legged friends. If you own a pet-related business, offer pet products or services, or simply want to align your brand with our pet-loving community, we'd love to partner with you. As a sponsor, your brand will be featured prominently in our episodes and our social media channels. It is a great opportunity to showcase your offerings to a dedicated audience of pet enthusiasts. So whether you're an expert in the pet industry looking to share your knowledge or a business seeking to reach a pet-loving audience, we want to hear from you. To apply as a guest or to inquire about becoming a sponsor of the Pause and Effect podcast, please contact me at drkara at pauseandeffect.co.za. Get in touch and let's discuss the various opportunities. 
Thank you for joining us today. We can't wait to welcome our future guest speakers and sponsors to the Pause and Effect podcast. Remember, every episode is an opportunity to celebrate our four-legged friends. 